This is East Lansing Insider, brought to you by ELI on Impact 89FM. In this show, we break down all of the news and happenings in the East Lansing community. And now, today's East Lansing Insider. Hello and welcome to another edition of East Lansing Insider, brought to you by East Lansing Info in cooperation with 89 Impact Radio. We are here today discussing City Council, East Lansing City Council, and I am Alice Dreger, Executive Director and Publisher for East Lansing Info. I have with me today two reporters for Eli, Heather Brothers, who reports for us on policing in East Lansing as well as City Council, and Andrew Graham, who reports on sports for us in the East Lansing Public Schools and also is our Chief Government Reporter. So welcome, Heather and Andrew. Hi. Howdy. So one of the things we want to talk about today is the uh, what I'm calling council switcheroo. <laughs> so we've got a big changeover in council. East Lansing's mayor is chosen by the city council. We know that a lot of people get confused about this. In Lansing, the people directly uh, elect the mayor. But in East Lansing, the people elect five city council members, and of those the council elects one of those people to be mayor and then a second person to be what's called mayor pro tem, which basically means the mayor in waiting. And that person becomes mayor if the mayor is unavailable. And so that's what's happening right now this week is that Mayor Aaron Stevens has resigned in order to go pursue a graduate degree at Harvard University. And as a consequence, Jesse Gregg on Thursday is being sworn in as mayor. We are recording this on Tuesday night, so by the time you hear this, assuming all goes well, Jesse Gregg will be sworn in as mayor. They'll also elect a new mayor pro tem um, from the group, and there will be a new city council member appointed. Andrew, Heather, any thoughts on those? Um, I guess my first one is that this gives the prospect of another stable but short period of city council for the East Lansing government, because regardless of who they pick, there is still a looming election, literally two months or something like almost two months from when they're doing this. So it's going to be stability again, but then council could change once more really quickly after actually. Yeah, I think five people total have applied to be the fifth person appointed to council to fill Stephen's seat. Uh, All bets are on Shanna Dreheim, who's a former city council member, actually being the person who will probably be appointed to that. But we'll find out on Thursday who gets appointed. But you're right. Jesse Gregg will be the fourth mayor of East Lansing in less than two years, which is not how it's supposed to work. The mayoral terms are supposed to last at least two years, not supposed to be four people in less than two years. Technically still supposed to be Ruth Beyer right now, based on the 2017 election. Yes. And Ruth Beyer and Mark Meadows resigned in the middle of July last year in the middle of a meeting. And very famously, uh, Aaron Stevens then became automatically the mayor because he was mayor pro tem at the time. And then Jesse Gregg was appointed as mayor pro tem by the group. And now because Stevens is leaving, uh, (laughs) now she, sorry, uh, Jesse Gregg becomes mayor and we'll find out who the new mayor pro tem is. Do we have any guesses as to who that will be? The mayor well, so there lies a tale. So the city charter says that when the mayor pro tem seat becomes vacated, that the council is to choose from the elected members a new mayor pro tem. If you take that literally to mean people elected by the voters, there's only one person left, Lisa Babcock. But the when I asked um, 
incoming Mayor Jesse Gregg about this, she said she had checked with the city attorneys and that the word elected is not to be taken to mean elected by the voters. It could mean elected by the council. And as a consequence, her opinion is um, that any of them could become mayor pro tem. So uh, that's not the way I read the city charter. I'm not a lawyer and I'm certainly not the city attorney, but it looks to me like the city charter anticipated the idea that the mayor should only be a person who was direct elected by the people and, you know, to be in those seats. Now, Shanna Draheim obviously was previously elected, but she left office and did not choose to run for reelection. So Thursday's special meeting is going to be full of intrigue. <laughs> Definitely. I don't envy any of these people in the like the position of having to deal with this constant change of effectively like your coworkers and a very important job that that's not fun. Well, and part of the intrigue is going to be, I think, caused by the fact that there's another item on the agenda, which is the discussion of the renewal of the city attorney's contract. So Foster Swift got the contract to become city attorney after Tom Yaden was fired at that infamous July 2020 meeting where um, Ruth Beyer and Mark Meadows suddenly quit in response to Tom Yaden being terminated as city attorney. So Foster Swift ended up getting the contract, and that's been a somewhat controversial award because Foster Swift has made some decisions that are unpopular, other decisions that are that have sat fine with people. So we're going to be hearing from Jesse Gregg and from Dana Watson with regard to negotiations over that contract. And um, I think that's going to be somewhat interesting. To my knowledge, they don't have an external counsel advising them. So I'm a little curious about what that's going to look like. I, I have personally, I will admit, likened it to the Pentagon asking me to do tank contracts because I don't feel qualified to be buying tanks. Handling a, Get, a get half, the green ones. <laughs> handling a half a million dollar contract, uh, hiring an attorney is one of those things that city council members who are normal people find themselves elected and suddenly doing. And that's, except Dana Watson wasn't elected. She and Ron Bacon were appointed. <laughs> are you all keeping track? I feel like you can hand out playing cards so that people listening at home can follow along with us on who's on East Lansing City Council at this point. Right, and then we'll need new ones in three months <laughs> when it changes again. We just need a, we need a flow chart. <laughs> really? Yes. And so November 2nd will be the election and we've got seven people running for um, three, a total of three seats. So if you're interested in that, check out eastlansinginfo.news. We've got a special voter guide and we're going to actually be um, cooperatively bringing forward debates and forums with the League of Women Voters and also the ASMSU group. We are currently actually soliciting from folks what they see the big election issues as and what questions they have for the candidates. And you could take that survey by going to eastlansinginfo.news, paging down to the voter guide, and then clicking on the survey. If you get us your questions before those forums take place, we will pass them directly on to the organizers of the League of Women Voters and the ASMSU forums. And they, last time in 2019, actually used Eli's readers' ideas to shape their questions and to shape the debate. So it's a very good way to get engaged. Okay, so moving on to a new topic, Ordinance 1500 just whew, disappeared on us. Um, Andrew, tell us about this ordinance. I was just mesmerized by that noise you just made. Um, <laughs> ordinance, 15, ordinance 1500 was passed in June by the city council three to two, which is a, a slim margin as they come in a five-person city council. And what it did was created 
effectively an embargo on when a landlord could show and try and rent a unit to new prospective tenants after the beginning of the leasing period. So if I signed a lease in East Lansing, it begins August 15th from 150 days after that, the landlord cannot, you know, say, Hey, I'm bringing somebody in to show it to them or Hey guys, I've signed a lease for somebody for the next year, just so you know, in efforts to create less of that sort of year ahead gold rush type feel of the housing market and protect students a little bit from just being in this absolute, you know, crunch the second they move in one year to be feeling like they need to get housing the next year. I know this is not something necessarily unique to East Lansing in terms of the problem and the the solution actually was borrowed. Aaron Stevens introduced it from the city of Ann Arbor has a similar law and he borrowed from that. But when city council did pass it, they made it contingent. The East Lansing law was contingent upon Meridian Township and the city of Lansing passing, I believe the language was substantially similar as the, the direct language, substantially similar laws, which they didn't. And so it's gone. And that provision was put in by Aaron Stevens, who proposed the ordinance because he also wanted to protect local landlords from potentially being at a competitive disadvantage to landlords in Meridian Township and Lansing. Right. And so, so now it's gone. You know, it's kind of a kind of an interesting one to watch because the students afterwards were kind of celebrating the student champions of this who came from ASMSC were sort of celebrating that they had gotten this ordinance passed because this was something that Students have been working on for, I think, two decades trying to get passed, if I understood history correctly. And um, so they were really happy this passed, but they didn't seem to get that there was very little chance that Meridian Township and Lansing's council were going to somehow... less chance of Lansing than Meridian Township. Yeah, of getting this stuff passed, especially in the summer, in just a couple of months. Right. This sort of complex legislation doesn't get passed quickly in the summer. And so as soon as it passed, I mean, Andrew and I said to each other, the odds of this actually taking effect feel really low. And indeed, it just quietly disappeared last week, essentially on the day of the council meeting that was Stephen's last council meeting. By the way, his first in-person meeting ever and his last in-person meeting ever as a mayor, because they've all been working virtually otherwise in terms of the pandemic work. So that that is now gone. And there was no discussion at council last week talking about whether or not they're going to try to bring forward another version of this. Lisa Babcock and um, Ron Bacon both voted against this pretty much for the same reasons that they stated that they thought this was going to be a problem in terms of competitiveness for the landlords, potentially a problem for the tax base of East Lansing in terms of um, making other properties more valuable because they could have this sort of lock. And then also uh, potentially concerns by Bacon about this taking this approach that's attempting to control the market where you have sort of unintended consequences. So those are the concerns that they had brought up. Yeah. I also recall Babcock at that point was, she had originally been supportive of the idea, but then wasn't supportive of making a law in East Lansing contingent on other municipalities passing a law. And that's part of the reason she voted against it. If I remember correctly. Yes. And Greg said that she was in favor of that kind of thing because she saw it as a regional move and she's very pro regionalism. Watson, by the way, was Which in favor is of good potentially, but it Yeah, it all depends on what it means, right? Thought out. Yeah. <laughs> right. And Watson was in favor of it. She's a housing advocate and she felt that this would be one way to potentially have more people be able to get into the East Lansing rental market, including people who are not students. Because one of the real challenges of getting into a rental agreement in the city of East Lansing is you have to sign up so far in advance in many cases. 
that said, we're seeing the market be heavily built um, in terms of student rental apartments. And as a consequence, there's a lot of people who think that the market will actually create a correction on this sometime soon, just because the renters are starting to have a lot more market power by virtue of having a lot more uh, houses and apartments for rent out in the market. Well, I remember when I first moved out here for graduate school in 2013, I think I accepted in April and I had two friends that had previously gone to MSU for undergrad and they were like, oh my God, where are you going to live? (laughs) You know, like you needed to already have a place. And I was like, but how would I have done that? I didn't even know I was going here until April and it was, we were okay, but it was kind of like they were panicked because they had gone through this you know, for four or five years. Yep. No, same for me when I became an assistant professor at Michigan State University back in the mid 90s. It was basically impossible to find a place to rent when we came into the market, which was early summer for taking a job in the fall. And we ended up renting well at the time what was really far out. Okay, so let's move on to another topic. Heather, um, talk to us about the Police Oversight Commission. What's the status of the Oversight Commission? Uh, When do you think it's going to be established? Tell us what's going on. So we FOIA'd the applications for the Oversight Commission, and the city got back to me with 39 of them, although they did say at council that they had over 40. So I have 39 of them now, and there are definitely some familiar faces in terms of who applied, like Eric Williams, Chris Root, and Noel Garcia Jr., who were all members of the study committee that was uh, doing all the research to set up the oversight commission. So I think it'll be interesting to see, you know, if they make it onto the the commission itself, because I think they all did a really good job. Um, and also Mark Meadows, who is becoming a more and more familiar face in <laughs> recent um, East Lansing city business. So he's also applied um, and I, are people allowed to sit on more than one commission or no? They are. They do occasionally do that. It's kind of unusual for um, people to be appointed to more than one at a time. Although if you're on the downtown development authority, you're always on the brownfield redevelopment authority at the same time, but it does occasionally happen. But, but let's do pause and talk a little bit for folks about where we've seen Mark Meadows popping up. <laughs> that's, so, that's, seniors, like, that's seniors commissioner Mark Meadows to you. Well, I feel like he's casting a wide net to like lots of different commissions to see where he gets appointed. Well, here's what we know, right? So he, he resigned in uh, right after Ruth Byer resigned in a tiff. I think it's fair to call it that. Um, July. Yeah, this is July 2020. July 14th, Bastille Day, as we all recall. I'm sorry. It's just funny that it was Bastille Day. And then Mark Meadows quit immediately after her at the same meeting. And then not long after that, Mark Meadows apparently applied to be on the planning commission. And we were all sort of dumbfounded by that. And he apparently got an interview, but was not appointed. And then he apparently also applied to be on the seniors commission. And last week he was appointed by city council. And when we asked why that was, Aaron Stevens said, well, there were four people who applied and there were four slots open. So that's why. But it's often the case, actually, that people apply and there's a vacancy and they're not appointed. So that alone doesn't explain it. And now he's popped up again for the Oversight Commission. Can you tell us a little bit just about his application for the Oversight Commission, Heather? Well, um, I do have to say that the opening line really did get me. 
And it's uh, the first thing he wrote about himself was that I have had a very lucky life, which is, if you've looked at the other applications, is an interesting way to start. Um, yes. In my opinion. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, at the time he quit, um, the city was still in the middle of sort of dealing with policing reform. And he had said some fairly unpopular things among people who were looking for policing reform. Mark Meadows has previously worked at the state level, basically, with the policing unions and was seen as very sort of pro-traditional policing. So it's incredibly interesting that he's now applying for the Oversight Commission, especially since he chose to quit council and could have had another three years on council. Um, he's not, by the way, folks, running for council this time. He's merely applying for lots and lots of commissions in the city of East Lansing. Well, which is interesting because so in this, the first thing you, you write in this application is uh, they ask you to describe any experiences that led to your desire to serve the community. And he says, I've had a very lucky life. My parents were very involved in the communities they lived in and taught myself and my siblings that giving back to the community through service was an important attribute of citizenship. So maybe he's remembering that now. <laughs> it just just strikes everybody as a funny move. If you want to serve, serve and you bother to run for office, keep the office, you know. That's written like we don't all know you already, Mark. <laughs> yes. It is kind of funny. All right, before we get in trouble, let's move on to another topic. <laughs> the Albert Al Fresco. Andrew, tell us about what that is and, and why it's become controversial. Or what it was, is, wasn't going to be. Right. Um, so what the Albert Al Fresco was, if you are a resident of East Lansing who has been downtown pretty much this summer, um, it's that bit of Albert Street between MAC Avenue and Abbott Road that got closed down and blocked off with... Uh, colorful concrete barriers, I believe is the, the the technical term for them. And there were picnic tables and sort of lawn furniture, and the fake turf grass and sunshades at one point that apparently caught the wind too bad and they had to be taken away. Um, outdoor games. And it was just this nice outdoor area on this street that was not a street for some of the summer. And it was anecdotally at least through public comment we've seen at various commissions and boards and at city council it's been incredibly well received from business owners from residents um city council members have spoken about how they've enjoyed it um there's some other amenities downtown that are related to that part of the place making campaign that are still around but now the albert al fresco is gone because i think the the technical reason is the underlying street closure from city council expired on August 15th. And so the street was legally open again and full of tables and chairs. So crews removed those and now it's gone. And part of the reason Jesse Gregg, the mayor, she was explaining on Tuesday night about why they're, they're opting to continue with the closure of it as planned and not potentially extend it when it's something that's really popular. I know, Alice, this is something you wanted to touch on too. Yeah, well, let's listen to that clip from Jesse. Let's have a listen. This is her speaking um, last week, August 10th at City Council, just after Nick Pideck from Foster Coffee was speaking, saying that he really thinks the road should remain closed, that it's been a very positive thing for businesses. So this is now Mayor Jesse Gregg responding to him. I did want to just speak to the comment that we had from Mr. Padek um, about Albert Alfresco. I did have a vigorous conversation yesterday with several downtown business owners, including Mr. Padek, about the possibility of extending. Um, and if you actually 
are so interested, you can look through our council email and see that we have received several suggestions that we might want to extend or even permanently close that street. Um, I think there's a couple of reasons why that's not a great choice at the moment. Um, chiefly just the fact that what we see downtown at noon with families playing and kids playing hopscotch is very, very different from what we see downtown at like 2.30 in the morning after the bars have let out. And um, our police department is already a little strained um, with the response even before the students have come back from MSU. Um, and we have a, a pretty cabin fevery population that I think will uh, strain that further. So rather than take what has been in my mind a wild success and invite failure, I think it's best for us to kind of rest on our laurels, um, regroup a little bit, maybe give our downtown placemaking team a chance to catch their breath since they have been sprinting flat out for probably, um, gosh, well, you know, since the pandemic started. So. Um, I did, you know, I also am very cognizant of the fact that our amenities should serve every part of our community and that includes the student community. So we definitely don't want to deny them the benefits of our downtown placemaking. Um, my thought is possibly revisiting the Albert Street closure in the springtime. I think it very much um, was a lovely compliment to the arts festival. So. My suggestion, and obviously this is in the future, um, would be to look at setting that back up in you know, late April or early May so that it was in place for the Arts Festival and so that we had a final um, month while we still have students in town to kind of see how it works um, when they are at the end of their year rather than at the beginning of their year with a lot of pent up energy. So um, I, also want to um, just mention that we are not done with downtown um, excitement. Um, we are dismantling that infrastructure on Albert, but we are installing it in other places. If you have not had a chance to go down to the Division Street Garage and check out the parklets, which are kind of like sort of little riser seating arrangements, um, I would very much suggest maybe going to Campbell's and grabbing a sandwich and finding a little um, shady spot on one of those benches and enjoying our new mural that was just installed. Um, it is very pleasant. So although it is not Albert Alfresco per se, it is outside and lovely. So what we heard there was Mayor uh, Jesse Gregg, at the time Mayor Pro Tem Jesse Gregg, responding to Nick Pydek from Foster Coffee, speaking about why she thinks that it's important at this point to, to shut down the Albert Alfresco and do things in other parts of the downtown, but not keep that particular area closed and try to do some more around the rest of the town later. And so one of the things that we've heard from people who are bar owners downtown is this concern about what happens at two o'clock in the morning when the bars close. The area has been a lot of fun for people in the daytime and in the early evening, but when the bars close, that social space has apparently been attracting a lot of um, stress and strain in terms of people getting into fights. And Andrew actually reported for us on a shooting that occurred near the Pinball Pete's Ann Street Plaza area a few weeks ago that was part of that whole scene. So that's been causing a lot of stress. And one of the things we're hearing from people about who are concerned with this, particularly bar owners, is they're saying we have essentially two freshman classes coming in at once. And what they mean by that is that the current sophomores at Michigan State, the kids who will be starting as sophomores uh, this month, 
never really had an opportunity to experience a freshman year in East Lansing. And as a consequence, you've got essentially two freshman classes in terms of the social experience. And folks are quite worried about what that's going to look like combined with the pent up energies. of <laughs> Yeah, they're pent up too. In the fifth years. Yeah. So we've also seen the disorderly conduct code changing and the, that's causing some stress and strain too, in terms of the police. Andrew, yeah, do you want Jesse, to talk about that? Yes. Yeah. I know Jesse mentioned that when she talked about it, both she talked about it at council on Tuesday, last Tuesday, the August 10th. And she posted when she posted on Facebook about it from her council page, because many people had been asking her about it and had effectively said something along the lines of there, there's been a strain on officers um, and that they've been devoting effectively extra officers have had to patrol that area around the time bars let out. And that, I mean, it stands to reason if you bring in several thousand students and add it to the equation that it becomes too much. And that makes sense. And what Jesse suggested and what I think is likely to happen is this is going to come back in probably April or May of 2022 and at a time where it will be there when students are here, but after they've sort of had a semester to come back with all the pent up COVID energy after the two freshman classes, so to speak, have had a semester on campus and, you know, hopefully in the spring at the end of the year, it'll be a time where you can see what it's like with a lot of students there at yeah, 2 a.m. You know, when the bars let out. A lot of people are feeling disappointed. Heather, you mentioned before we started the recording that you had gone down and had a nice experience down there recently. Yeah. And I still don't feel comfortable like eating inside at restaurants. So when my husband and I wanted to go out, I was like, well, why don't we go to the, the Alfresco? And it was actually really nice. We ate outside at Jolly Pumpkin. And I like that there were some people waiting um, for like Barrio Taco was pretty busy. But it was really nice um, that they had like the extra tables and like those barrels that you can stand up and eat at too. So like people were taking food over and it was just a good experience. And it was sad that it was kind of like the last day of it, I guess, until April or May. I, I do hope it comes back. I think people feel like, ah, oh, the students are back and now they're taking away our nice stuff. And this is part of this town well, gap tension in, in the city. Another point Jesse made too, and that I being a not too long ago college student agree with is that amenities in East Lansing should also be for students to some degree. So I think there is a, a genuine desire from her at least to see this come back in a way where it's, it works and it can be something enjoyed by everybody. And that, can be maybe permanent. Definitely. It's frustrating that, you know, the festivals that are held in East Lansing are almost always held while most of the students are gone. And the reason for that always given is that, well, we need their parking spaces. But it really feels sort of sad <laughs> that it's not a moment for the students and for the towners to sort of get together at wonderful festivals and actually be able to share those things together. So maybe there could be some hope that in the future, more of that stuff will be happening. There is going to be a special August celebration with a lot of outdoor shopping happening when the students are back and we'll be bringing more information about that. But I think that's going to excite a lot of people. And just before we run out of time, we want to mention that Eli is covering the floods that occurred 
on August 11th through the 12th, um, that was when we got somewhere around seven to nine inches of rain in the course of just a few hours. It left a lot of people with sewage in their basement or with stormwater in their basement, and it caused flooding all over town. A lot of people who are renters did not have adequate insurance. We saw a lot of cars flooded. So we're covering that. We did a survey of um, folks to ask them if they would report to us if they had sewer backups. And we got 83 responses to that survey. And we've brought the news about what it is we learned from those folks. Did either of you get affected from those? Fortunately not. We live on an esker, um, as my brother informed me. So basically the, the water runs off a hill and into the backyard in a way. So we stayed fairly dry fortunately you managed to stay dry too yes i have no idea what the land i live on is called but (laughs) it did not flood so all right well that's good news well thanks everybody for joining us today for another edition of east lansing insider remember you can get our podcast online at eastlansinginfo.news and get lots of news from us there thanks east lansing insider is brought to you by eli on impact 89 fm we are on the web at eastlansinginfo.news and impact89fm.org. Thanks for listening.